0: Hi, then, guys, and welcome to episode five of Diary of Security Consultants. <clears throat> We've made it through the first month. Uh, we put out the first four episodes last month, one each week. We're into week five. Last week was a big one, risk and liability. So this week we're going to take it back down to the twenty twenty-five minute mark. Got a full show of stuff to talk about. Uh, last week's one was the Cork Security Society speech. We had to put it in three parts. It's gone very, very well, uh, as usual. A speech that long, you wouldn't expect uh, everybody to stay to the end, but. Comments have been good the feedback has been good so that's quite positive uh, this week's topic of the week was uh, eas activation so we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes how security staff should or shouldn't be dealing with them as the case might be i'm going to talk to you about a, a very good new podcast that i came across uh, with some good particularly good episode on it uh, equipment review of a the uh, Nitecore mh12 gt torch and a little bit about what we've done this week or in the last 10 days or so since the last episode I kind of changed up the episodes a little bit uh, in terms of timing, uh, just to see what works best for people in terms of what days or evenings it goes out. So I've left like an eight day gap between it this time, so hopefully uh, this works better for some people. Um, <coughs> there were some people saying they don't watch a lot of YouTube or podcasts at the weekend, it's more of a midweek thing, so we'll try that. <coughs> this week what's been happening for us, um, we've had two client audits. Uh, this week for the PSA 21, the brand new PSA 21 2019 audit. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, the PSA 31 2019 audit is the one that's undertaken for new companies looking to set up, uh, looking to work in the door supervision industry, the guarding industry, or the event industry. So this is the audit they go through first. This used to be carried out by uh, certification companies, but now it's the, the PSA themselves, the private security authority, who are themselves carrying it down. I have to say, since the 2019 update, there's been some good uh, updates on it. Um, there's been some stuff I don't necessarily agree with in it, but it's there for the right reasons, which is always a good sign. You, uh, uh, when it comes to certification and regulation, I don't mind if I don't agree with somebody in, something in a standard or whatever, as long as it's there for the right reasons. And this is there for the right reasons. It's the changes they've made are designed to get the right people working in the industry. Um, you could argue it favours bigger companies over smaller companies, or ex- it favours existing security uh, providers over new ones, but you don't have to agree with everything that they do. So. Uh, we've got two companies going through it this week hopefully, we haven't had an issue yet but hopefully those two will go through that we've supported, some full, one fully and one we've just supported with some documents and some help and support. Um, <coughs> the big change I suppose has been in terms of ownership which is an interesting area to look at, um, ownership of a company when you want to become a director of a, co- a new company now open up they're insisting on a five years work experience in the last ten years in the sector in which you're operating. Good because it's looking to get the right people into the industry not so good because I feel it kind of discriminates against smaller suppliers if you look at any of the big employers security employers in operating in Ireland at the minute I can guarantee you that there are none of the directors of those country companies have been operating operationally in the security industry for the last five years so it is kind of skewed but it's done for the right reasons so you can't really argue and the insurance stipulations have gotten a little bit heavier and some of the stipulations around command and control and how you manage your staff and roster them and how you do check-in calls have gotten a bit more stringent but again you might not agree with them, you might seem, they might seem burdensome, but they're there for the right reasons. It's an interesting document to have a look at for anyone. That's I get a lot of people contacting the page saying, I'm interested in uh, setting up a security company. I always advise caution with that. There's a lot of unseen costs. There's a lot of money you have to have set by. There's a lot of uh, policies and procedures that go on in the background of a security company that, that employees never ever see. Um, that makes it a very, very big undertaking to start up a security company. It's not a small task anymore, you know, where anybody could just get set up and now I own a security company. There, there's, there's a lot of checks and balances to take place. Some would argue too much. I would still argue they're probably some in the wrong place and they could do with tightening up in other areas. But uh, it is what it is. We'll have two more going through this week. If anyone wants to talk to us about anything if they're thinking about or any area that they're concerned about, feel free to get in touch. Um, we also had two very large student events over the last two weeks. Um, in uh, one of our long-term hotel contracts where we supported the in-house and the contract security staff with some planning, risk management, advisory documentation and then on-site support on the night in terms of management and and how we facilitate the kind of synergy between the security teams and the medical teams and the actual hotel team itself. We've been doing that for a lot of years. We think we have it down to fine art there. We we take a very much a a care-based approach. When you're dealing with young people, I suppose, and alcohol and certainly a certain amount of illegal drugs and any gathering of young people and alcohol, um, <coughs> we treat it much more as a care approach rather than an enforcement approach in terms of that we don't throw people out. We bring them to medics, the medics sign off for of them, there's welfare space for them. Um, there's not many events, I think, that go to that, that uh, effort, especially smaller events of that size. But we put well, almost 2,000 students through there over two weeks at two separate events. And I think it's a credit to the security teams that were in place there. Uh, all on all sides that there wasn't one single incident of violence one person removed for violence there's a number of medical small medicals and stuff like that but not not a fight in any way shape or form throughout the, the two events which is quite positive um a couple of people removed for heavy levels of intoxication but nobody actually fighting with, with each other you know which is a, a credit to the guys and i suppose we could take some credit for the planning element that. Um, Another thing that we started this week was a, a charity thing that I'm doing. Um, some of you might have seen it, it's the 100 miles in February for the Matter Foundation. So that kicked off this week. Uh, I'm planning to run 100 miles in the month of February to raise money for the Matter Foundation, the Matter Hospital, which is a very, very worthy cause. Uh, at some stage in the month I'll share the link on the Security Operative Consulting Services pages. Um, <coughs> it's a I like to do things for charity every single year and I like to concentrate on things I'm good at. I'm good at physical endurance skills, long distance running. That sort of stuff, endurance sports, where it can, you know put a bit of pain into. It. I don't, I don't tend to mind a little bit of suffering for a good cause. Uh, last year we did a couple of marathons. This year I plan to do this event, the hundred miles, and then I'm plan to do an ultra marathon la- later in the year to, to race. But if you can, if you, if i share the link later on, maybe if you can support, even the price of a cup of coffee goes a so really good from, uh, foundation helps a lot of people who are sick. I'm sure there's lots of you out there that have people have to go to a matter hospital. So a really good event, and I'll share that later on in the year or mm-hmm. later on in the week. Sorry, so. Topic of the article for this week was uh, EAS ar- activations. So, for those of are not familiar with the term EAS, a lot of people don't aren't familiar with the technical. EAS is ba- electronic article surveillance. It's basically the security tagging systems that you will see in retail outlets. Now, these systems have been around since the sixties, I believe. Um, if I'm correct in my remembering, that um, <coughs> they they're not new, and there's lots and lots of things out there in the world now that. Activate these systems that didn't in the past and there's different sorts of systems different types and system setups So you've got your acoustomagnetic, your electromagnetic your radio frequency your microwave your RFID different tags That's why some people aren't aware that when you leave a shop with a tag on you might activate that gate You go to the next to the next shop It doesn't activate their system and you go to the next shop and it does that's because different shops use different systems and there's pros and cons to each system there's cost involved there's benefits to each um, <coughs> and different shops with their own preferences and installers and stuff like that. Uh, but the reality is, in my experience anecdotally, probably 90% of these EAS activations nowadays are false activations, either false positive or false negative. Um, so we're not dealing with a large amount of criminal activity in terms of the activations that are, that are happening. So for me, that would lead me to believe that mo- 90% of the activations are a customer service issue. So for retailers, really, it should be a customer service staff member approaching this. My, my general guidance to retailers in, things, in terms of things like this would be that security staff should not be approaching customers uh, after an activation. Um, just the perception of security from a customer service point of view it gets it all wrong. It's a customer service issue should be dealt with customer service staff. They approach, excuse me, there's been an alarm activation, we quite possibly left a tag on your garment or your product, would you like us to check that garment or product for inside the store customer says yes please customer says no thanks and walk off there's very little you can do customer says yes please you're coming back in you're apologizing we want to make sure that doesn't happen again Could we just verify who served you on that receipt there we go and we start building that that pattern that from security can be a different thing now there are some retailers that will insist on security staff doing their going out there and and speaking to them Uh, that could be for a couple of reasons one it could be manpower they just don't have the staffing to do it and the second reason is possibly that there's been incidents of workplace violence before, and they don't want to expose the staff to that. Now, that's a bit of a, a dichotomy there, really, because I would say, okay, well, let your staff go out there and do it, but have security staff support them just in case, be in the background if that's your if that's your concern. Uh, but I suppose the dichotomy is by security staff going out and dealing with it, well, but that could actually escalate the risk of, of, of violence if a person sees security uh, approaching, whether they have or haven't done anything wrong, just a perception of security approaching. Um, if security are going to approach Then the security provider, if it's not in-house, if it's a contract security company, then that contract security company has to really, I suppose, be aware and accept the transfer of risk that's happening there. Basically, your client, that retailer, is transferring all of that risk onto you. You are now going out there, put yourself in the the position, or your agent is going out there putting themselves in the position of, of standing in front of that person and opening up potential defamation claims just by the perception of security going and what they say and how they say it and stuff like that. And uh, another security consultant, a uh, very well respected security consultant, Terry, um, <coughs> commented on the article there uh, during the week when it came out. and He says that he's also not a big fan. He didn't agree with uh, security approaching at all for the simple reason that you're relying on security staff getting things right 100% of the time. And as much training and as much supervision as you might get, give to them, that's not a reality. When you hire at the bottom end, and, and the vast majority of companies hire at the bottom end, they pay the base rate. They they give very little training, very little supervision that actually equips people for the role. The chances of, of them doing the right thing one hundred percent of the time there is, is, is negligible. So you're opening yourselves up for defamation. If if there is a claim of defamation, then I suppose then you've got your defences to defamation. You've got the base one which is truth. You know there was an alarm activation. There was a guy a tag left on. You know uh, the person was actually stealing something in some cases. But again, you've got no proof of that. Even for the person to go, you haven't witnessed or haven't got any reasonable grounds to suspect that an arrestable offence is taking place, so you have no business stopping the person if if they don't want to stay. The other defence that comes up that security staff really should be aware of, but probably aren't as aware of as they should be, uh, is what's called qualified privilege. (coughs) So qualified privilege is a defence to defamation, whereby the statement that is made by the person is in the best interests of the other person to hear it. So if I tell a customer I explain to a customer that the alarm has been activated and we may have left the tag on and ask them if they'd like us to check that. I make that statement in good faith concerned that it's in the customer's interest to hear it and if they don't hear it, they're potentially going to go and activate other alarms and cause further embarrassment. So me making that statement is made in good faith to the customer and that's what the defence of qualified privilege is about. I had an interest in saying it. And they had an interest in hearing it. So it's in both of our interests to have this interaction done in the right way. In general, it should be retail staff. Some of the kind of other things that prevent that. Obviously, the less activations we want, the better. And with all these false na- uh, false positives going off, some of the things that we can do, obviously, a big thing for me is testing and maintenance, testing and inspection. That The security staff should be going in the morning, taking a tag, and testing each gate to make sure that they're activating correctly uh, at the right distance and stuff like that. And then also testing uh, the actual equipment to make sure if I deactivate a tag that it's not still activating the gate. And taking that dodgy equipment out of the out of the, um, the usage, I suppose. You know. Another one is to be aware of no tag zones. Every unit gives out no, uh, a, a, an area which, would depending on the sensitivity, would pick up these tags. Usually between 1.5 and 2 meters. So making sure there's nothing in that that could be activating. You know, there's a stray piece of clothes or even simple things like LCD monitors or door monitors. Um, certain lighting displays and window displays that could be activating them and things like that, Tills uh, connected to the internet that are too close you know all these things, uh, chip and pin machines, uh, wireless chip and pin machines all those things should be kept 2 metres away to stop activating them and the final thing I say then is actually logging of incidents every time an alarm goes off it should be logged it went off, why it went off, who approached the customer what was done and who had served the and you keep that record of events so that builds up patterns of a couple of things firstly of staff not detagging correctly so you start to build up that tag pattern secondly of staff responding to alarms and not letting them go away and the third thing is suppose, to builds up patterns of potential criminality you start to recognize this person's been in three times three times has been an alarm excuse me a tag left on you start to build up these patterns when it stops being just just coincidence so the article i'll, I'll link the article down there and uh, it's been quite well received and share them on retail circles which I'm kind of happy about um, <clears throat> but if you've got any comment to make or anything that you do different in your store I'd love to hear it John you know, I'll pass it out there if I get inf- good information like that I'll, I'll pass it out on the page you know if people are doing things differently uh, it's been a while since I stood operationally I still work with some retailers but it's a while since I stood operationally in a retail shop um, <clears throat> Another thing I wanted to mention uh, and this was the a new podcast that I came across um, came Across it a couple of weeks ago, through one of the guys Chris Story shared uh, a gentleman called Chris Story shared my Dunning Kruger article uh, across the state and it was very well received. But he told me he's um, operating a podcast that I came across called uh, Conversations in Close Protection. And while I was running or, or in the gym over the last couple of weeks, uh, I've been listening to some of the back episodes and some really good guys, guys on there. you got a Byron Rogers episode, which is fantastic. Uh, There's a Christian West episode on there, a Tony Blair episode on there. All, very very highly recommended episodes if you get a couple of minutes to start listening to them but the one i was listening to this week was a gentleman called Ivor terrace very very well respected security consultant in the industry uh, israeli gentleman Um, i've listened to some of his information on podcasts himself runs an organization called enablement advisors absolute mine of good information and he was speaking about the close protection industry and stuff like that but one thing that he said particularly struck me he said joined. he said it a couple of times actually um about that we don't. Once people say, "What do we need to do to fix the industry?" and it struck me, he said, "We don't need to fix the industry. The industry isn't broken. We just need to continually improve the industry." And I see that a lot on my social media pages as well. People complain about the industry. The industry is rubbish. The industry is crap. We should change this or change that. We need to fix this and fix that. Change this and change that is absolutely fine. Fix this and fix that is over the top. This industry pays the rent, mortgages, bills, colleges, tuition food for thousands and thousands of people around the country and around the world every single week it works we have a remarkably low crime rate compared to to other countries we have a remarkably low rate of assaults on security staff we have a remarkably low rate of, of serious incidents involving security staff and that's a credit to the people working in the industry so to say the industry is broken is a fallacy are there things that are wrong in us absolutely are there things we can improve absolutely but it's just, nobody's gonna do that for us. The PSA, people give out about the PSA, the PSA is a regulator, they're not gonna fix the industry first. The companies, they're not gonna fix the industries on their own, they, the companies are profit-making machines. The only people who can fix the industry or improve the industry, because it doesn't need to be fixed, is the people who work within the industry. And if you're gonna sit on the internet and complain about stuff, but not actually do anything to, to improve the industry or make the industry better, then you're just wasting your time. But it kind of struck with me, the industry's not broken. This industry functions very, very, very well. It pays a lot of wages and it pays a lot of mortgages. You know, uh, Absolutely it could be better, but that has to come from the inside. People talk about we should be paid better. Absolutely we should be paid better. Everyone in the industry deserves to be paid better. But until we show ourselves true value as professionals, that is not going to happen. Somebody has to take the lead, and that lead has to come from within the industry. It's not broken. You do your job very, very well every single week, or the vast majority of the industry does, to make sure that this industry works very, very well. And it does work very well the fact that we have those statistics to support it sure there's some not some nicer elements to the industry but we do a very good job of running a very very good industry in this, in this com- country everybody does all the people within it from the companies to the employees to the clients to training providers everybody could do a little bit better of course but the reality is it works quite well another thing he spoke about was um the, the emphasis on process and procedure, which I love, I, I'm a real process person. If you if you read my book, The Nightclub Security Manager, people have commented that. It's basically process, 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 process. Everything you're asking an employee to do, they should be given a process to follow. That is key for me. And Ivor in the podcast spoke about, you know, uh, we can't blame a security guard. If a security guard asks in his own initiative does something wrong, uh, we can't blame that person. We blame the person who didn't give them a process or who had a process to follow. And that's important for me. We often call, talk about individual blame for events in this industry. He did this wrong. You look at video clips that come out and see say, he did this wrong, he did that wrong. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he just didn't know any difference. You know? So process and procedure is very, very important. I often get uh, assignment instruction manuals to look at from sites or site operation manuals. And I've seen everything from a 300-page site operation manual down to uh, a 1.5-page A4 site operations manual for a site. That's not good enough. That leaves the person who's operating that site in a horrible position. They then have to make up their responses on the fly. By all means, you don't have to, you know, go down to the final detail. Give people broad parameters. This is how we want you to act. But we need to see this process through. You know, and it, it just stuck with me as a very good point. But I really recommend it. I'll link the podcast down below. It's conversations in close protection. All the episodes are really good, but the particular episode is the one with Oliver Terrett that I was speaking of. It's very very good. Um. Couple of more things one thing i said i was going to do an equipment review every week uh, i did the Juku charger uh two episodes ago um this week i'm going to do a torch uh, one that i picked up mm, what well, about five months ago i uh, picked up from Nightcore, who are a chinese manufacturer but a very high-end chinese manufacturer it's the Nightcore mh 12 gt it's a rechargeable torch uh Comes with a Cree uh, LED capable blasting out a 1,000 lumens, it tells me. I think that's slightly exaggerated, if I'm honest. Uh, It's very, very good light. Has a tail switch on the end of it. USB charging port. Comes with its own NL1834 battery. Very, very good quality. The feel of it is very, very good quality in your hand. Fits nice. Uh, It's good ergonomics around it. It comes in this uh, yellow box. Has a good bit of uh, stuff with it some of the stuff that came with it. A very, very high quality, Nightcore branded USB charging cable for charging the torch. I've used this a couple of times. Very, very efficient, very, very good quality. I've actually used it to charge phones as well, and it's very, very efficient. Uh, it comes with this lanyard, which I don't use. I don't believe in attaching a torch to my to my wrist. Uh, it comes with the um, belt holder. And a set of spare O-rings, tactical the, the tactical tail cap, as they call it, or just the tail cap, as the rest of the world might call it some o-rings and one of those roll uh, which is call a bushing to stops it rolling when it's on its side I haven't used it. It also comes with this pocket clip which is one of the things I like about it I've used it with a suit. It has a reversible pocket clip on it so you don't need to use the holder you can put it in a jacket pocket or a jeans pocket or whatever the, the case might be uh, I've had it for about four or five months now. They tell me it's a thousand lumens the thousand lumens on high beam goes for about an hour uh, then it goes down. i uh, just check on the instruction manual here the exact lumens before I sell them short. The mid one is 280 lumens, which I've used most often, and it reckons that it can get about six hours on that uh, with the battery in it. And then there's low and ultra low, which I really, really use. But the, the light out of it, uh, I, I've always been a lead lenser guy. Lead lenses is my thing. I've always used them. I prefer them. I've used sure an and light in the, in the past, but I think LED lens or lead lens or whatever they're called are fantastic. make they, they just do quality, durability and quality. The actual light throw of the light might not be as good as some other makes, but the actual quality of the torch I think is fantastic. This here, the light I think is a better quality coming off it than the lead lenser. Do I prefer it without getting rid of my lead lenser? No, it doesn't feel as durable. Um, it doesn't feel as weighty or as meaty. It feels like that if you drop it, there's going to be damage. Um, it doesn't fit as nicely in the hand even though it fits nicely it doesn't it doesn't fit as nicely in the hand maybe that's just habit that i'm used to carrying the lead lens or p7 um but the the light itself often is immense now i managed to get this in at wholesale price um because obviously of the business and i think i got two of them in at the time one of them i gave away and i think to get the two of them in cost me about 110 euros with the tax and the import tax and stuff like that Uh, they retail online their minimum retail price is 85 euros Comparing that to a 70 euro Lead Lenser P72, I think you get better value for money with the Lead Lenser. Another thing, uh, which I suppose divided me a little bit, it's a very slim, very good quality pouch with good quality Velcro down the end. The only thing that I didn't like about it is that the pa- part of the pouch, the ba- belt loop on the pouch, is Velcro. So I felt that a couple of times as I pulled the torch out of my thing, the actual Velcro came away, and I ended up with the pouch in my hand with the thing. I prefer a good solid, like a belt loop that's solid and stitched around it. So, you know, as regards durability and that, I I don't like it. I'm reaching out for that in an emergency at the end, but the pouch in my hand is not a whole lot of good. Is it a good torch? Absolutely. It is a very, very good torch. A very, very high-end torch. Is it an €85 torch? Maybe, if you've got €85 to spend. Is it a better value-for-money torch than a lead lenser? I don't think so. But that's not to knock it. it. It's still an excellent torch. So I'm going to do some more uh, reviews on this. I'll post a, an Amazon link to, the, to this to some of the other I, I don't sell it, obviously, but uh, to some of the other sellers on it. But I would recommend it if somebody's getting a torch. You know, would I recommend it over lead lens or no, I would not. Um, so I'm going to do another, another review of another piece of equipment next week that I'm waiting on coming in, which brings me back to just to wrap up the competition I said I was going to do a couple of weeks ago. We are running a competition in the next week. I have probably 80% of the prizes. I ordered some stuff in from the States, which still hasn't arrived. So, that will be here by the end of next week, and I'll be able to announce the, the competition for some branded goods and some really good quality security products. So, I'll announce that hopefully next week. Other thing we're doing next week, we've got this client audit to get through finally. Uh, that's our last client audits uh, of the three that we had coming up. Shouldn't be an issue getting them through, uh, but I'll give you an update on that next week. Uh, and we're also booking a schedule. We have a, I have a protective services team that I use, where I use some uh, guys that are working on a regular basis with me on protection gigs some consultancy gigs and some penetration testing gigs uh, what i like to do as part of that is to have these guys upskill, so we can have that on the website and in the brochure and stuff like that so this week we are finalizing their uh, yearly progression plan for our professional personal development plan i should say um, for the training for the year we're finalizing courses in march we've got a stop the bleed course coming up in march we're doing some ad- advanced fire uh, training then hopefully in april um, and then some cyber stuff and some information security stuff then as the year goes on and we've got a surveillance expert coming in later in the year to give us some, some help with that as well so that's going to be rolled out to the guys uh, when we actually do it I might bring the camera on the course and get some footage from the Stop the Bleed course for this podcast because I want to do some more interaction so just to wrap up thank you again for the feedback the brilliant listenership on the Force for I hope you get something from this if you're looking to get in touch with us we're on Facebook, The Security Operative Instagram, The Security Operative Twitter at Security and LinkedIn the Security Opera. You can also get it on our email info at securityopera.ie or our website www.securityopera.ie. As always, any comments you have, I'll get straight back to you. Any emails you want to send us, you know where to get us. Thank you very much for your time again. See you all next week.